Australian perspective on the world of football. This week, we rip up the FIFA Pro World 11 and give our own spin on it. UEFA announces the name of the third European club competition. There's a big, big sound coming out of Western United. And of course, uh, what you've all been asking for, an update on FPL. I'm Tommy C and I'm joined this week on the pod by Damo and Colby. Gents, what stood out for you this week? Uh, my moment of the week. Look, this could have been an own goal really this week, but I I'm going to. There's a fine line sometimes. Yeah, isn't I'm going to make this my moment of the week. It was uh, Anthony Gerrard who plays non-league for Chesterfield. <laughs> Stephen Gerrard's cousin, actually. <laughs> he uh, he he was forced to give an official apology after he tweeted a fan saying that he pulled my hammy last Saturday night while I was rifling your mother oh, on geez. Twitter. So <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a bit of a. Bit of a funny moment, and only in non-league football would you get that. Man's got social media game. <laughs> wow. Um, Colby, what about you, mate? Uh, my uh, moment of the week has to be Bez going to Western United. Vinited. Vinited. Uh, <laughs> I just love that that club's just leaning into the, the snake narrative. Like, their colour's green, they've got Rudan, they've got Bears. Like, what more could you want? Like, I just love the narrative already. I want the A-League to start now. And and like you you posted midweek on, on our Facebook and Twitter, Colby, uh, I really want um, Bess to, to score against victory and just do the big knee slide and and uh, celebrate in front of uh, the victory fans. I think that would... The, the A-League doesn't always have a lot of narratives and, geez, that would really... Be spicy. One we really need this yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, my moment of the week this week was uh, one of your boys, Damo, Sheffield United, uh, John Egan, um, and his brave uh, impersonation of Phil Jones when uh, he was uh, going in for that that block tackle against Firmino last night. Just got down on his hands and knees. I think he slipped, but. Um, yeah, he's just gone in, just really brave. Literally head first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Down on his hands and knees. To stop his... a counter-attack. Yeah. yeah. That, that, and that was, all, that, you know, even that was on the halfway line just about, like that, that could have been a goal. That, it was really... a, that was a goal-scoring opportunity, I think, if, the, if uh, Liverpool were allowed to get away there. so It was really effective. As, uh, I agree. Like, um, and I think, um, I remember we were talking about it, Damo, last night, saying how, like, Firmino kind of pulls out because he's like, yeah, I could seriously hurt this dude if I go into this, like, full-blooded and... For me, not being that kind of guy, does just say, "All right, if you're you're going to do that, you can have it." <laughs> but uh, yeah, what a moment! Very uh, Phil Jones esque. Um, time for our goal though. Oh, my own goal this week has to be the uh, was it the Spanish Football Federation or was it FIFA gave Barcelona a three hundred euro fine oh. for 
you know, the the way they went about approaching Griezmann transfer. It, it wasn't actually 300 euros. It was actually 266 euros. Well, there you go. Even worse. <laughs> but I think the funniest part is that Barcelona have actually... Um, appealed it. Appealed this to not pay the fine. I mean, that's something you do when like, you're a uni student. You get a, a ticket on the tram because... <laughs> yeah, you, didn't pay for it. you appeal it just try to see if you can get off. It's not a billion dollar football club. That, that's actually a good point. You know, um, once when I was coming home from the the pub on a Saturday night after I've been watching football, I actually got fined for for falling asleep and having my feet on the seats, and the fine was more than two hundred and sixty six dollars. So uh, yeah, uh, I just well, wish I had have had uh, Barcelona's legal might to be able to to appeal it. And haven't the um, haven't the Barcelona fans started an ironic GoFundMe for this as well to <laughs> help the club That's afford great. it? <laughs> that that really is fantastic. I love that. <laughs> that was an own goal, right? Not a moment of the week because we seemed to really get around that, didn't we? <laughs> that was my own goal, but it also can be a Still moment. Still enjoyed of the week. it. Like you said, it's a very fine line. Um, Colby, what about you? What was your own goal, mate? Uh, own goal for me this week, boys. Um, uh, happened last night. It's it's got to be the, um, the the Victorian media's uh, treatment of uh, AFL fan celebration, uh, contrasting to their their treatment of um, football or, or soccer fan celebration. Um, but so Tigers fans were were jubilant last night after winning the AFL Grand Final, um, jumping on roofs and uh, letting off flares on Swan Street and burning flags, burning and burning scarves, and scarves. And flags and things. And like there was like a police police officer assaults and things like that. And you know. All you hear from the media is, oh, you know, the, the, the AFL fans are, you know, getting into a bit of celebration and it's just treated as a bit of fun as opposed just to... Uh, some jubilant larrikins, really, know, aren't one, they? One flare gets let off at a Melbourne victory game and, um, you know, it's, it's on the front page of the Herald Sun, soccer shame. So, uh, yeah, a huge own goal for me and um, it'll, it'll be an own goal for years to come, I, I imagine. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't suspect any of us really anticipate that changing a whole lot, do we? Unfortunately... Um, for me, uh, my own goal this week was uh, so uh, UEFA announced the uh, the name of the the new third club competition, which um, I mean you guys have seen all the, the, that meme template of like no one, absolutely no one, and then yeah, UEFA is going to announce like a brand new club competition which no one ever. Yeah, wanted. who the fuck wants this? <laughs> the, Other than UEFA, yeah. And like, I think there's there's sort of like a bit of a niche market out there for people that want the the Cup Winners Cup to return, and that so you, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> nah. But no, there is there is a niche out there. But um, sort of beyond that, like, I don't think people really want a third uh, European club competition. Not only that, but it's going to. Um, I was reading just just before that. Um, they're actually going to limit um, the countries who will actually qualify for the uh, Europa League as a result. So there's kind of going to become like this multi-tiered approach to, to club competition. So remember like how I mean, UEFA have like coefficients and stuff yeah. and like the, cl- the nations get ranked and it affects like how many teams you get in the Champions League and so on and so forth. But it means that um, unless you're, I think, 16th... Uh, sorry, if you're 15th and above you won't actually be able to enter the Europa League anymore. So it's it's going to be almost like... And, and so, um, for for instance, Scotland, I think, are ranked 19th at the moment. So it means that Celtic, if they don't make it through the qualifiers, they will go into this Europa Conference League tournament thing, which 
like they're going to be playing against the likes of Romanian teams and teams from Liechtenstein and Cyprus and Celtic stuff like that. Celtic probably win that, and then they got more European trophies to add. To the cabinet. <laughs> just completely defeats the purpose of like having a you know having an elite competition, like you were saying, Tommy. It's which started out probably as the Cup Winners' Cup or some earlier iteration of that. Where it's hard to get into yeah, it or something like that. Yeah, yeah, like making it actually prestigious to just making it just you know nothing but a money spinner for. For UEFA, and and then you've got FIFA adding teams to the World Cup, and like I know that that's been sort of reneged on in the case of the Qatar World Cup, but like it's just fucking ridiculous. And look, I I agree with what you're saying, Colby. Like but what's the point for, in qualifiers for these competitions, for or the, what's the point in actually like placing in your leagues and stuff if you kind of finish seventh or eighth in in a league and get into like some other competition? Yeah, the competition that, frankly, let's face it, no one's really going to pay much attention to this. This are they? Like, there's going to be so much football that you, you're going to have like. You can have teams like Manchester United finishing in 10th, um, you know, in the third place Cup Winners' Cup next year, like fielding a team of 16-year-olds on a Wednesday night or something, just yeah, who, mind-boggling. If teams aren't going to take this seriously, it's almost like, well, yeah, what's the point? Um, but look, uh, for me, the most concerning thing about this is that it also... I, I see this as another way that they're going to line up the Champions League as being invite-only, um, whereby... Basically, it becomes a closed shop. For step closer to the Super League. Yeah, exactly. It's Super League it's by the stealth. First step of turning into the Super League. Yeah, and like this is, I guess, one way that UEFA are sort of maybe trying to guard against that, or trying to um, make sure there isn't a breakaway Super League. But if they're going to turn the Champions League into a Super League anyway, then well, what's the point? Just they might as well have their own breakaway competition. It's just it won't be UEFA branded. But anyway. Yeah, real, real positive uh, signs here from the pod early on. Um, <laughs> next up, uh, the Premier League. Alrighty, it seems um, a little bit uh, remiss of me if we don't start this week with uh, the, the first game, uh, which was Sheffield United and Liverpool, given that as well we've got a Sheffield United and a Liverpool fan on the pod. So, um, boys, uh, I thought this was... Uh, a weird game in the sense that Liverpool, I thought, were a little bit wasteful. Um, Mane and Salah both had, um, frankly, stunning misses that I thought on another day they would have converted. Um, for the FBL players, there was no Salah return. Um, and he missed a one-on-one that I thought was almost too simple. He almost had too much time to convert it. Um, but look, the um, this game finished 1-0 to Liverpool, which the, the deciding goal, the deciding moment was um, Henderson's mistake. Um, which really was a pretty terrible way to um, to concede and to, to really to lose the match. Um, boys, I thought Sheffield United were good for a point here, but Colby, how happy were you uh, for Liverpool to have gotten three points here? I'm stoked, stoked with that. When you when you go away to um, a place like Sheffield, like you you saw the conditions on the day, it was like sideways rain. The crowd yeah. sounded amazing, and they were intimidating and. Um, you know, Sheffield were on top of their game, um, taking every advantage away from Liverpool. And if you're Klopp and Liverpool, um, you take those three points and you get the fuck out of there. Uh, and, um, you know... Especially since I think Liverpool have never won at Bramall Lane. Is that right? Not in the Premier League, no. Ah, it's only been three games in the last 20 It was a bit of a years. weird stat, that yeah, one. Yeah, they right, kept, the commentators okay. kept throwing it around. But yeah, it was like three games in the Premier League era. And I guess um, the the flip side of it is how disappointed are you, Damo, that you didn't get anything out of this game when really I think you were good for a point and had your chances again on another day. 
one of those chances probably gets put away. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about it last night when we were watching the game, and Sheffield United, they worked so hard, and you could probably say, yeah, it did enough to get a point, but, you know, at the end of the day, Liverpool were nowhere near their best, and it was a chance for Sheffield United to take something. Mm. They didn't, but it was it was the disappointing the way that the goal they ended up scoring, to, to you know, which decided the game, but really they should have scored about four or five other clear-cut chances. Mm. So it was a bit lucky uh, that we didn't concede four or five other times and then a bit lucky, a bit unlucky when we did concede. So, I mean, not this... It's not expected that we would get anything, but it's disappointing the way the game went, really. Yeah, I think um, that's right, Damo. You, you, I mean, uh, and... Like Sheffield would, Sheffield could like walk away from this game holding their heads up high. They um they totally um they totally marshaled the Liverpool's front three with um Sheffield's back three marked them out of the game. And um I I, I do agree that it was you know it was obviously uh, obviously pretty lucky for Liverpool that Henderson made that goalkeeping error. But you know it's one of those things, isn't it? You got to be got to be good to be lucky. You got to be lucky to be good. And you mm. you know sometimes you you sort of you almost earn your luck in those situations by by playing the way you do and and the yeah. pressure that Liverpool creating but my my biggest question coming out of that is um you know is, is the hat the source of uh, dean hendo's power because he was taking it on and off and as soon as he whipped the hat off it was just see you later he's got to keep the hat on if you had the hat on <laughs> it would have saved that one uh oh we, we just back what we're talking about chris wilder um did a post-match interview and he was visibly devastated mm. he and he was talking to the bt sport um interviewer and he was really really upset the fact that they got nothing from that game and you could tell that he was so worked up you know but really believed that he deserved his team to get something from that how do you think that affects the uh, the squad and their morale when they see the manager sort of reacting in that in that way well i think chris wilder's biggest asset is you know the way you know people always talk about mentality and stuff like this and it's a big conversation in the Bundesliga at the moment too with mentality is the, the thing that everyone points blame towards or praise towards. Mm. Um, it can be a big thing, but I don't think that's an enormous, you know, trigger for anyone, the team to look at the managers devastated because the team probably are as well, to be honest. They probably believe that they should have got a point out of the game. As a footballer, that's just what you think you should get after grafting so hard for 90 minutes. And everyone talks about um, Sheffield's defence, and yes, their their back three um, stood up incredibly. But like, uh, you know, I just want to talk about Sheffield's attack in this game. Like the the way they were pinging those long balls so accurately uh, to to Robinson and um, and um, what's his name McBurney as well. Ollie. Yeah, uh, like if they if they had a bit better forwards or a bit more clinical forwards, that you know they'd be such a dangerous side. Um, and and you, you saw the way they were working the space in behind Trent and in behind uh, Robertson as well. Um, you know, Hendo was playing half the games right back to cover for, for Trent and, and, you know, so that was taking something out of the midfield and you know that Sheffield are attacking well when um, Van Dijk is man of the match for Liverpool. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think, like, yeah, definitely um, th- that's, you know, if, um, if Sheffield's uh, forwards can improve those, those new signings, um, yeah, look out. 
well, that, w- that was, was, was awesome. that a was that a, a like a veiled dig or not by you saying that Sheffield United would be a great team if they had a better striker? <laughs> no, I mean they're, they're, they're you know they're, some of their like some of their forwards are new. They're still betting in, but I mean they're not like they're, they're probably not top six quality forwards. I don't think that's a I think that's just stating a fact. But if they had if they had top six quality forwards um, or, or you know even a little bit they could get a little bit more out of their current forwards gee they'd be a, a force to be reckoned with yeah I thought McBurney really gave um, Van Dyke a, a real hard time last night so he looked sort of uncomfortable with how how physical the, the battle was like he obviously like you say he dealt with it really well but um, it was a it was a tough match for I guess for a lot of the Liverpool players which aren't really used to having tough matches like that um but anyway, so look, um, there was one other point I wanted to touch upon, which, I, Colby, you've already kind of touched upon, which was the, the tough game that Trent, uh, Alexander-Arnold and Robertson both had where um, they look to really uh, exploit the space that they those guys leave and they're, they're so important uh, with providing width. Um, do you think a lot of teams are now going to be using that as a bit of a template or, or teams already using that as yeah, a template? I, yeah, I think that's right, Tommy. Teams teams are already using that as a as a template. But I, look, I don't think that worries Klopp and I don't think that'll worry like the players because um, that's just the way Liverpool play to, to give that extra overlap and that extra attacking threat. I mean, you're so narrow through the rest of the team as yeah. well. Like you play three central midfielders and three guys up front and they're not, it's not, one central striker and two wingers. Liverpool, no teams are targeting them there. Um, and yeah, they rely on like uh, midfielders like Hendo <laughs> dropping back. And then you've got um, Van Dijk and Matip who, who, who are covering well mm. as well. And, and that's just the, the way they play. So, and they're, they're not going to change that up. Yeah. And it's a bit of a trade-off. I, like when you play with your fullbacks as one of the focal points of your attack, essentially is what Robertson and Alexander-Arnold do. Uh, you know, though, people are going to play through those channels because that's where the space is going to be. But if that's the way that is an integral part of your attack, then you can't just let teams sit your full, push your fullbacks backwards. Like Sheffield United were playing with such high wingbacks that, you know, traditionally those fullbacks that would overlap now have to sit in, which completely changes the way you play your game. So it's a bit of a trade-off knowing that's going to come there. We're not going to try and stop it by putting our fullbacks back there. We'll try and stop it another way. Because mm. they'll lose too much if Alexander Arnold and Robertson don't go. Yeah, I I think it's a it's a really proactive and positive way of trying to to go against teams like Liverpool and like if this was probably two or three seasons ago, you would have had three quarters of the the teams in the Premier League going off. Oh, even though we're at home, doesn't matter. We're going to play five at the back against um, like someone like Liverpool or, or something like that. But you've seen with Norwich and the other three, day. Three plus years ago, you've got Nathaniel Klein and Alberto Moreno. So there's there's no near the amount of threat going forward there as well. Yeah, that's true. But like as I guess um, like Norwich showed that if you, you your best chance sometimes against the, the top teams is to, to try and go at them and be positive. And I think even though Sheffield United didn't get a result here or didn't even get a point out of it, they did show that, yeah, if you're positive and... Um, and proactive then you can be successful uh, and you can create chances you can limit i guess the damage as well that um liverpool's fullbacks can cause you as well particularly when you've got a home game like we could see at carrow road when norwich played manchester city that place was absolutely rocking and it's such a huge influence in how the game works and Mm. bramall lane was the same last night it it looked and felt like an intimidating atmosphere and Liverpool played in a lot of those, but they weren't at their best, and that was probably a contributing factor. Yeah, speaking of um, 
teams that were at their best though. Um, Bournemouth. <laughs> <laughs> so Bournemouth hosted uh, West Ham. My West Ham in and uh, what was a bit of a an interesting matchup because it was kind of two teams that were in the top six and both teams looking to I guess kick on with um, with their season and really cement their place uh, like high up the ladder. Um, Yarmolenko kicked things off in about the tenth minute um, after a, a tidy shot on the turn after a beautiful beautiful piece of skill by my boy Sebalair um, that uh, opened up the scoring. Um, but uh, however, West Ham were opened up uh, by a set piece, uh, not for the first time this season, probably not for the last time this season, uh, which with uh, Josh King slotting past Fabianski to make it one all. Although um, it did um, require the VAR to, to say that this one was actually onside after the assessment had flagged it. So um, key moment, not just in the match, but uh, also in likely West Ham's season with uh, Fabianski going off with, uh, with a quadriceps injury. This one looked bit nasty to be honest um it was on about the 34th minute and um had roberto coming on the the spanish goalkeeper um who conceded for midweek against oxford in the in the league cup so uh, obviously that didn't fill a lot of west ham fans with a lot of positivity um i i think um boys uh question for you now uh midway through the wrap-up but uh Lots of people are going to be talking, I think, about West Ham possibly as a, as a top six team this year. Not just me, but um, how much do you think uh, losing Fabianski uh, will, be a, will be a worry for, for West Ham moving forward, though? I think you nailed it on the head before when you said it could be a turning point. or not a turning point, but a huge factor, contributing factor to West Ham's season. Uh, do you think they're cooked for the next month if, if Fabianski's out? It's, it's not the... They'll, they'll struggle and it, it'll be the games that um, you need to get a draw from that your keeper pulls out two or three amazing saves that you get a couple of points. They're the games that now they're going to lose or they won't be able to win, they'll draw. Um, which, you know, over the space of two months that Fabianski's not playing maybe could be potentially 10, 15 points mm, that they've mm. dropped just because the subpar goalkeeper they've got on the bench just can't do... He's not up to it because he's, he's really... He's not a Premier League quality goalkeeper. No. Do we know how long he's going to be out for, Tommy? Because I, I, I initially thought um, it was a hip injury, but um, uh, yeah, I, guess I suppose we'll have to wait until... Um, like, we're recording on Sunday afternoon now. We'll probably have to wait until later on at least to hear something further on it from, um, I from think the UK. It, I think it is still too early... Um Especially injuries like that, you, they go, they tend to go to hospital for scans and stuff like that, pretty much straight after the match. Um, but often the information doesn't tend to filter out into the news until the following day. So, um, yeah, look, not not sure of whether it was hip or, or quad, but it's massive um, either way. If he's out for a period of time, yeah. it's it's, it's going to have a massive impact on on West Ham. He's he's been one of their best players over the past two seasons. So yeah, look, season and a half, un, you know, un, how long he's been there. So Undoubted, he has yeah. been their be- our best player since he's uh, arrived at the club. So, yeah, he's a huge and, and as Damo said, like he's he's one of West Ham's players that wins you games and gets you points or prevents you from dropping points. So. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, um, it's big. <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, so, yeah, look, Bournemouth did take the lead on the 46th uh, minute through Callum Wilson, who's on a bit of a purple patch at the moment, uh, scored in his fourth consecutive league game. Um, is there a player in such great form at the moment who's being talked about so little? Well, I think he kind of did this at 
this point last season as well, he scored a whole bunch of goals and everyone was talking about him going to Chelsea in January. So he gets They wanted eighty million or something didn't for him, didn't they? Yeah, he gets talked about and the but the only reason people don't talk about him anymore is because there's always one other striker in the league who's scored a little bit more who's the flavour of the month. For example, mm. it's been Tammy Abraham for the last you know, six, seven and, weeks. And so, Timo Pukki. And mm. Timo Pukki. So no one's talking about Callum Wilson, who's probably played more consistently better than both of those players for the whole season so far. Not a striker, but John McGinn for mine um, has been quietly doing his business throughout the uh, throughout the course of the season to not much fanfare at the moment. So Yeah, there's there's a little bit of chatter on uh, Twitter in the, from the fantasy community about him, but uh, I agree, like not really in a in a more broad sense are people really getting around John McGinn though, who yeah, he's when you really don't play for a quality. glamorous team. Yeah, and it's, he's not a glamorous sort of player, is he? He's no, very he's, industrious. Exactly. He's all about energy and work rate. And look, he does all the simple things right. Um, puts in a tackle and got a great shot on him as well. Got a great but, left um, foot. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to know who's who's more under the radar out of West Ham and Bournemouth. Um, you know, like like you said, Tommy, both in the both in the top six and um, like yeah, like a couple of weeks ago before that loss in the in the cup, people were gassing West Ham. Um, to finish in the top six this season, and you know this this result, I don't know. Query whether it's it's points points dropped to Bournemouth or not, but um yeah, Bournemouth are just quietly doing their business as well. They are. I, I do think that West Ham are a better side than Bournemouth. I think Bournemouth have been mm-hmm. punching above their weight so far. Yeah, but I believe this is West Ham's level, and West Ham should be in and around that top six. Yeah. So this um the result overnight brings West Ham up to to. Third with 12 points, um, Bournemouth one point behind, but due to goal difference are in seventh. So there, there is a huge glut of teams um, on 11 points. Um, got Spurs, Leicester, Chelsea, Bournemouth, Arsenal, and surprisingly Crystal Palace all on 11 points. But obviously um, Leicester and Arsenal have both got um, a game in hand still to be played. So um, yeah, like... Realistically, um, West Ham could still finish um, this round in the in the top four, which is which is huge. But um, like we said before, the loss of Fabianski. Hopefully, he's not out for too long. But um, he, he uh, his absence is going to be key, I guess, in the next couple of weeks for, for West Ham. Yeah, I don't see him finishing above Leicester, but um, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting with the with the whole Fabianski thing as well. I think that'll be big. Yeah. Um, uh, finally, in the in the second half, uh, it was one point where Bournemouth went up three uh, one through Nathan Ake, but uh, that goal was disallowed uh, with Solanke offside. And although I don't think he actually touched the ball, um, the ball went bloody close to touching him. So, look, guys, do you think this is the right call to bring this one back? Yeah, I, I would have said that's offside. He's definitely interfering with, you know, the goal either goalkeeper's line of sight or yeah. his thinking that Solanke might come across him and touch it. You know, he was caught off by mm. Solanke being there. And that's the whole point of that rule is if you're involved in the play, then it counts as offside. Yeah. After VAR doing nothing as well for like six weeks, it's pretty clear that there's been a directive before this match day. Um, you know, the, the, the refs are going to go to the VAR and it's going to get involved a little bit more because we've seen that, um, you know, in, in, in a couple of games in mm. this match day already. So, um, yeah, it's... Yeah. 
Uh, one to watch is, is VAR for the next little while, I think. <laughs> it's funny, like, just interesting watching the evolution of VAR throughout this season, like, because previously, I guess specifically in the A-League, it was so slow to, to change, and it was like, this is the policy, this is how it's going to be a- applied for the whole season. And now in the Premier League, we're sort of seeing, I think, sort of slow... Well, it's happened the opposite way in the Premier League. Like, last year in the A-League, they started and it just intervened in some, like, fucked up decisions and, like, people... Too keen. Just too keen. People were losing their shit. And, like, you know, it probably took four to six weeks in the A-League before, you know, all all the VARFs got the directive and they sort of sat off and everyone seemed to be a little bit more satisfied with with that. But in the Premier League, it started out sitting off thinking, oh, yeah, this is the right approach. And people were going mad over it, not intervening enough. So, like, yeah, I don't know. It's lose-lose, isn't it? I don't know where Premier League fans are going to be be happy with. They just won't be happy with anything. Yeah. But look, I thought this was a kind of an interesting call. I agree that um, the right decision was made that um, it was uh, flagged as offside by VAR. But look, on another day, I wouldn't be surprised if a VAR said, no, this that's a goal. I'm happy with that. So um, that would have made it 3-1 to, to Bournemouth. And at that point, with Fabianski off and uh, West Ham down 3-1 away from home, you probably would have thought... Bournemouth were gonna uh, would have had all three points tied up, but um, Aaron Queswell, Queswell, yeah, I know, uh, popped up after uh, Felipe Anderson had uh, cushioned a, a nice little header back for him um, and slotted home his, his second goal in in two weeks, um, which which made things two all. Um, great goal for for Creswell, but uh, considering I don't think he scored in in over two years, and now he scored two in two weeks, so. I don't think anyone really would have predicted that. Yeah, it was pretty. We were, what, we were watching the game last night, and I was uh, I was watching Aaron Cresswell. It was a little bit before he scored the goal. He wanted the ball played out to him. One of the midfielders had it, and instead of the midfielder opening up and coming out to the left, he went back into where the ball came from, and uh, Cresswell was swearing at him and throwing his arms up, angry. And it was that next ball that went over to Anderson and. It, Cresswell followed up and hit the ball straight in the goal. It was, it was a, just a real juxtaposition of him being ridiculously angry with his teammate for not passing him the ball. And then five seconds later, he was down the other end of the field, putting the ball in the back of the net and celebrating like a madman. I think we kind of talked about this kind of thing a little bit with Liverpool and, and Mane and Saleh a couple of weeks ago about just how great it is when you see someone who's really hungry for the ball and they want to take that responsibility. They want the ball. They want to impact a game and... Criswell's obviously got two goals in two weeks, so he's 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 making an impact. Well, but he needs but to it's great because he's fighting for that spot, and that's only better for West Ham if Masuaka and Cresswell are going, you know, toe to toe and playing brilliant football, fighting for that spot. Yeah, arguably, I I didn't think Creswell had a an outstanding game, but I thought he was really solid and probably had one of his best games for a long, long time in a West Ham jersey. So, um, good signs for. Uh, West Ham's left back position. Um, in uh, the Claret and Blue derby, uh, Aston Villa hosted Burnley, um, which in this one, uh, I-, I thought there was going to be a bunch of goals in this one because Aston Villa just hate keeping a clean sheet. Um, but And as it turned out, this one finished two all. Um, El Ghazi uh, opened the scoring on about the 33rd minute. wonderful finish too, wasn't it? Nice, yeah. Nice little, not quite a dinked finish. Cushioned but, outside yeah. of the foot. Yeah, it was, it was a really good finish. But then uh, then there was like a 15-minute goal spree with uh, Jay Rodriguez, John McGinn, 
uh, Colby's John McGinn, John McGinn, boy, and Chris Wood, Jesse's Chris Wood, uh, all got their names on the on the score sheet. And I think they all came from crosses. Yeah. Uh, from memory as and well. John McGinn also had a goal uh, that was disallowed by VAR uh, earlier on as well. So, and when he got that second one with the VAR celebration, yeah, that was like great. that. <laughs> it was actually the second time that happened um, this game week where someone had a VAR related sort of celebration. So, yeah, I wonder I wonder how long before that's going to become a little bit passe. But anyway, I was just going to say, Tommy, like. But then Chris Wood going out, up and scoring. You're, you're probably about to move on to this, but absolute schoolboy uh, stuff from Villa to, to score a goal, get yourself up 2-1, and then but basically on the very next play, uh, you know, you, you let your opposition back in and it, and it finishes in, in, you'd have to say, points drop for Villa. Like, they, they controlled most of this game. They had 60% possession, 16 shots, um, plus McGinn's first goal was ruled out. So I think, you know, Villa at home to Burnley would feel very hard done by... Well, not hard done by, but like they've, they've shot themselves in the foot there. It, it's a little bit sort of similar to how they, they really just lost concentration against Spurs as well when they were um, in a really promising position. And yeah, here's another in- instance where they've they've dropped points and the, these kinds of things, like that's, that's two games already in, in seven where they've probably switched off and um and it's cost them points and teams make a habit of this and it it leads to one thing and that's playing in the championship next season and look i already said before about how villa love conceding goals but um yeah they've they're already conceding uh at least two goals a game which yeah doesn't bode well i think there's i think there are worse teams i think that'll be their saving grace this season but but like you said tommy that that's often the difference between a hardened Premier League team that have stayed stayed around for a few years and those clubs that go up and down. is It's just that, you know, momentary lapse in concentration in the Premier League mm. just shoots yourself in the foot. And it's Villa have done that a couple of times. And, you know, over the space of a season, that's 10, 15, 20 points dropped just by making small mistakes like this. And that's what gets you sent back down to the championship. Yeah, pretty concerning times for Villa. Quick shout out to uh, Burnley's fullbacks. I mean, we, we're used to seeing um, over the, the past couple of seasons, Burnley's centre-backs in me and Tarkowski being the, the sort of heroes of that defence. But, I mean, uh, Lowton and, and new recruit Peters, uh, like, they're doing bits this season. Like, getting, you know, chipping in with assists, they're getting forward, like... Eric you Peters know, scored last week. Yeah, as well, real, real no-frills uh, fullbacks. Um, you know, just... Just quietly doing bits. Not only that, but you've got um, uh, Eric Peters is I think the third highest scoring uh, defender in fantasy right now. Yeah, it's uh, coming up on Tommy's uh, fantasy <laughs> segment later. <laughs> but yeah, like ridiculous because I mean, even when he was in the the Premier League a couple of years ago playing for Stoke, yeah, no one really, it, yeah, exactly. It was it was pretty average, I thought. But yeah, anyway, here we are. Um. Moving on, though, uh, in uh, one of the other matches, Crystal Palace hosted Norwich. Uh, yeah, the same Norwich outfit that um, that beat City a couple of weeks ago, now struggling uh, against Crystal Palace. Um, Emil Vojevic, um, a Milvojevic penalty and a late Andros Townsend goal um, settled this one. And look, boys, like Pukki and Norwich have been exciting. They've beaten City, beaten Newcastle. But then they've also been comfortably beaten by West Ham, Burnley, and Palace. Um, sort of a similar theme to 
uh, to Villa here, but look how 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 deep a trouble are, are Norwich in? I I think Norwich will probably go down to be honest because I don't I feel like they're not a team that's that, you know get stuck in defensively and do that work. They're a team that like to go forward and attack, but they just can't score more goals than better teams than them. They're not that good that they're going to score exactly. two to three goals every week, are yeah. they? Quite unlucky with injuries too. It has to be said. Like, and they've added more to the list this week with um because they uh, they had uh, Ralph Farman, new recruit from Schalke, um standing in for um Tim Krul, who who's picked up an injury, um and then he was hooked um you know because he he got himself injured as well, um handing two debuts to two Premier League keepers in a match, and so it ended up with their third choice Michael McGovern in. Um, by the end of the game, and I think Jamal Lewis, one of the fullbacks for Norwich, might have might have had a broken arm or or some oh, kind geez. of injury towards the end of the game as well. And he's one of their young up and coming stars. And add that to the list of of injuries as it is. Uh, I think Tete's picked up an injury as well. And um, I mean they're, they're lucky they've got Cantwell, Bundia, and and Puki still buzzing around. But gee, like behind them, it's it's a bit Pretty of a worry. Dire. And 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 that's a big issue that Norwich didn't really spend any money. Over the summer, they didn't really. They bring brought in. a lot in, but they didn't spend yeah. much money for it. Yeah, and I don't think they brought in enough quality players to keep Premier League depth. Mm. So and that's where the issue is going to come with injuries. Yeah, and I mean, just keeping those players on the park, like you know, some of it's got to come down to bad luck, but yeah, some of it's got to come down to I don't know what, what they're doing behind the scenes. Mm. But they they need to find a way to to get these guys back as quickly as possible and and put put together a, a consistent team because you know as we all know that makes a that makes a big difference as well. But I mean, uh, look, Tommy, to your original question about you know how how far Norwich are reverting or how much trouble they're in, like I actually think Palace were just quite good on the day at home. Um, you know, they, they just played a good game. But I mean, I mean, pretty lucky. You know, you're always lucky in some ways to, to get a pen. Like Zaha did create that by mm. fizzing ball into MacArthur. Um, and then Townsend's goal is a bit soft towards the end. Like you, you, Tim Krulls would have probably saved that. And, mm. and then it's, you know, then it's 1-0 or a 0-0 so if you take either of those out. So, And well... Positive signs though for for Palace though that Zaha I thought was pretty decent. I reckon he's man like, of the match. I mean, just know, buzzing hasn't, around, hasn't been contributing much on the score sheet lately. But gee, he he played a good he, game. He in that doesn't one. need to though, does he? Like he he gets the ball, he he runs at people, he he attracts a defender, beats someone, and then yeah, there's there's two free players, and that's that's what a player like Zaha does and and brings to your team. So yeah, positive signs I guess for Palace, and they're they're up on. Um, what are they equal equal points in? They're in, sitting in ninth due to goal difference, but they're equal in points with four spots. So they're re- they're a really weird team because like last year, if you remember, they were like amazing on the road, but just shit at Selhurst Park. And this year, they're they're quite good at home. They they they're um putting together a nice little run of of home um, performances mm. and and not as good on the road. So. Just never know what to expect from this Crystal Palace team, but I thought in particular uh, Cahill and, and Kelly in um, Palace's backline um, did did a pretty good job on on Puki. Yeah, and and I wonder if like now that I I think that sort of the buzz has worn off for, for Norwich. Remember it said about um, teams a couple of weeks ago about some of these promoted teams copping bloody noses, and I think now that Norwich have um, 
have had a couple of games where they've been kept scoreless. They've um, come up against like sort of seasoned physical uh, Premier League teams. I, I suspect yeah. they're going to start well, to struggle. Well, their season peaked when they beat Manchester City. It well, yeah, almost too early, it right? It's a grand final. It doesn't get better than that this season for Norwich. That's the truth of it. And so if Norwich have been punched in the nose, what happened to Watford last week? <laughs> yeah, Watford were still punch drunk, I think. <laughs> Kicked in the nuts. <laughs> Which is probably a good way to segue into uh, Wolves-Watford. Um, Wolves' first win for the season, uh, definitely something for them to build on. Um, I thought uh, Wolves' first goal, which was uh, Matt Doherty's... Your uh, boy, Tommy. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, look, he's back. He's he's back. And look, that, that was one of my follow-up questions, boys. Um, this goal, which starts with uh, Joao Machinho, um, then goes out to Johnny, um, then goes... Uh, then actually... Uh, sorry, no, it was um, Neto. Uh, Pedro Neto, um, and he just uh, lays the ball. Neto. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he puts it across, basically across the, the six-yard box, and Matt Doherty just taps it in at the fast stick, which was just a... It was City-esque. It I was mean, really nice. Like, very simple three passes, but it also highlighted, I think, somewhat the defensive problems that, um, that Watford have got, it, I think, at the moment. The finish was simple enough, Tommy, but it was for me. It was it was uh, Doherty's movement um, to get mm. into that position. You know, coming out from a really wide position just to make himself available, pretty much on uh, at the top of the box. Um, you know, yes, he had to finish it, and it was a it was a good finish, albeit a bit you know straightforward. But he did his job. But it was it was the movement um, for him to just ghost in to, that created that. I think it was last year when we were looking for superlatives for how to talk about City that we were saying how yeah, City score a lot of tap ins, but. It's bloody it's hard. All the stuff that goes on before that. Exactly, it's bloody hard to make sure, make those tap ins happen. And yeah, you, you're right. Like um, Matt Doherty's run, like he's a good sort of two or three meters ahead of Holbass, uh, who you would think like would be pretty well um, positioned. But yeah, he's in no man's land. And um, yeah, that um, intensity of movement, awesome. And I think, um, look, boys, how how key do you think uh, Matt Doherty's return to Wolves um, is? Massive because before that you had Traore playing there, who's not a defender. So he's uh, lucky if he's a winger; he's just a pace huge. merchant. And and the way you know he he's he's quite a solid defender and um and and chips in with with score involvements as well. So yeah, it's it's huge, Tommy. So you think something really for for Wolves to build on now? You think they're they're going to turn a little bit of a corner now, or well, it's 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 a way for them to stabilize their team and build on something because to start the season they didn't really have any sort of foundation they were just kind of winging it it seemed when they were playing and nothing was working they were playing horrible football they weren't fun to watch but now and and heaps of rotation as well because the Europa League now it feels like they're they're trying and they're building on working on something different so Wolves are going to have to reassert their uh, top six killer status that they had last season because they, they play City at home next week. We're at home for City, so they've got an away game against City next up, um, followed by uh, Southampton at home and then Newcastle away. So, look, you, you, if you're Wolves, you, you want six points out of that. City's always a, a free hit um, in the state that City are in. But, you know, if you're Wolves, you, you want six points there. Yeah, it's a bit of an they opportunity. To, to out of turn their season around, they do need that. Mm. I'm I'm a lot more worried for Watford though, boys. I mean, obviously this game was both teams were at the at the foot of the table going in. Looked to me like a bit of a relegation six pointer. Do, do we think Watford are going down? I think certainly, and I also think that um, they'll. We're talking about managers getting sacked, and they sacked the manager. I think the next manager in the Premier League to be sacked will be Watford again. 
I just think they're a chance, aren't they? Like, didn't uh, they did that two years ago? Didn't they? Where they sacked two managers the in the season? Yeah, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if the next manager sacked in the league is from Watford again. Just the next manager. Yeah. That's outrageous. The, Huge they, call. The, the, they would sack two managers before any other club pulls the trigger. So Watford have gone um, eleven Premier League games without a win now, and the last time they went on a run like that was in ninety nine two thousand when they got relegated. Um, and it's their fifth consecutive season in the Premier League, and their their record um, for most consecutive seasons in the Premier League is six in top flight before being relegated. So it seems as if they're it's sort of a, coming happening. to the end yeah. of their their life cycle or their their, their sort of Premier League cycle, and they're going to have to go down and and regenerate because you know they you might remember from our Premier League preview um, special they they didn't actually bring a lot in and. Not only that, but we talked about Norwich's uh, injury problems. They've also got Troy Deeney out for... What, Bat Drake. Bat Drake. Drake. <laughs> <laughs> but his, his loss, like he's a, he's a real leader for them. Um, like obviously he, he chips in with goals, but he's he's one of those guys that just puts himself about. and he's that's just an a issue real, as well. Like He's just a pest. Yeah. And um, they don't really look like scoring a lot of goals now. Like, Dale LaFay's got quality, but he has not been playing well. He got hooked at halftime. Mm. Um, you know, they, they look like uh, they've got Welbeck, um, you know, up to fitness. He played 90 minutes. Um, that he, guy Welbs. That guy Welbs. He had a, <laughs> he had a good shot, which tested Patricio in this game. And, and maybe he's going to be the answer for them. But like... Jeez, they they've, got to find, they've got to find something and they've got to find it soon. You're it, in a bit of a pickle if you're relying on Danny Welbeck <laughs> as your number nine, aren't you? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Took the words right out of my mouth, mate. So Watford's next fixtures are Sheffield at home, uh, Spurs away and Bournemouth at home. So I reckon they'll get zero points yeah, from those three games. pretty tricky. Zero <laughs> points and, and maybe another manager change. Yep. Wow. So you think like there's a possibility they might only survive, what, uh, five matches? Kick a Flores? Kick a Sanchez Flores. Yep. It's a great name, isn't it? QSF. Uh, yeah, I mean, like Damo, I, I hadn't thought of that before you said it, but I don't. That's not a bad shout. Yeah, yeah. Although um, we'll touch on it a little bit later, but we'll see how long Ole's at the at the wheel for as well. Um, moving on, though, uh, Chelsea kept their first clean sheet of the season uh, as they hosted uh, Brighton. Matty Ryan and um, Aaron Moyes, Brighton. Um, in this, uh, could I say? Brighton did appear a little bit toothless, though. Still just another season, and Brighton are still struggling up front. Um, I think they got one shot on target in this game, which, yeah, not not positive signs, uh, I guess, for, for Brighton in this one. Um, uh, Hudson Adoy um, also returned from injury in this one. Um, and probably the biggest news out of this one was that um, Jorginho, uh, back on penalty duties. Uh, I saw that. Despite Barkley being on the pitch. I know, well, that's what we are talking about, Tommy and I, last night. Is Lampard quite distinctly came out into the media and said, no, when Ross is on, he's the penalty taker. So we know that's bullshit That's now. why he, That's complete bullshit. So... He probably wasn't expecting that the very next game would like he would have to yeah. sort of test that theory. He was probably thinking, oh yeah, Frank's I, like, yeah, I could get away with this for yeah, a couple exactly. of weeks. Exactly, <laughs> no one's going to know. Everyone's going to have forgotten about that by the next time we get a penalty. Yeah, you, I didn't listen to the um, to the presser, but do you reckon he was asked uh, asked about that? He definitely would have been asked about it, and, he, <laughs> I, and I just guarantee he would have just brushed it off. Like, mm. no, no, you know, he Jorginho took it today. Mm. He, he wouldn't have said much about it, I don't think. Yeah, there, there will be there will have been some some excuse. Yep. Boys, um, Brighton 
aren't in the greatest run of form either. We were just talking about Watford and some of the other sort of uh, uh, lower teams. Uh, what are your thoughts on Brighton this season so far? I'm liking the way they're playing under Potter. I just I, I think that that sort of positive style of play uh, got a little bit found out. I mean, you know, in in the first half they looked very tough to break down and were very mm. tough to break down, and it was only a mistake by um, one of their standing um, back three Webster. Um, you know chopping down mounts after um you know ca- playing it around the back a little bit too casually like you saw Matty Ryan clearing it on a few occasions and and just sort of you know getting them out of danger but i think that does make a difference because they had um Brighton had uh was it Duffy out still injured so mm. you know that i think that makes a difference but the the way they're playing I, i've been I've, i'm still impressed with them and i still think they can stay up i yeah i i agree i think they're playing good football but they just don't have that end product at the moment, like you said, Tommy, they have, they're not able to score goals. They don't really have a goal scorer that's going to score 10, 15 goals this season that will, you know, save them. But they are playing good football and the, the way they're set up by Potter, it's some it's quite exciting to watch at times, which is something I wouldn't have thought I would have said about Brighton this season. And, and that's, a, that's an important point there is, like, you've got probably one of the most... Uh, uh, ambitious, exciting young managers in the Premier League at the moment, Graham Potter uh, at Brighton, and so you sort of, I, I sort of wonder that it's uh, even though they may not have uh, necessarily the the players um, uh, in that final third, you suspect the system might be able to to pull them through some some matches and just their movement and they just need know, a little bit of magic play. up front from Potter's team, don't they? Yeah, and I guess like Malpe still still. <laughs> It, that, that one took me a minute. Yeah, okay. Went straight over my head. Given that I've never seen a Harry Potter movie before, I'm not surprised, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, Malpe is still, still uh, settling into to Brighton in the Premier League. So, look, maybe um, in a, a couple couple more games, you might see a few more goals for him. Um, yeah, and Moy in the front three too. Starting, uh, made his second consecutive start for, for Brighton. Um but basically, I mean, he didn't he didn't end up playing that far up, but that was his starting position in as part of Brighton's front three, which I, I particularly enjoyed. Um, you know, he, he was involved about as much as you'd expect, but good good to see him getting minutes. Um, but but one of the guys um, that I had my eye on um, for Brighton was the the youngster Alzate. Um, I thought he was very good. Yeah, I thought he was very bright. Like something a little bit different to what they already have. A bit of a bit of a sort of pacey dribbler who can go on mazy runs like straight down the middle for them. Whereas particularly they've been a bit reliant on on getting stuff up up the flanks. So um, yeah, particularly like the look of him. He did get booked for diving, um, but <laughs> he, he looked he looked pretty bright. He's he's raw, but um, keep an eye on him. Um, talking talking about we've been talking a lot about Brighton, but I think Chelsea were quite underwhelming. Uh, last night, obviously they got they got the goals, they got three points, and they and go a clean away sheet. Mm. and a clean sheet. But if you were to look at that game, I don't think Chelsea really deserved to win two nil. At the end of the day, flattering. Like, it was. Jinx. It was very flattering. It was it was quite a poor performance from Chelsea, which I guess you know people always say that you're a good side if you can play poorly and still get three points. So that's a good sign for them that they can still get points, clean sheets, and while not playing well. And, we're, we're, you know, 
those those youngsters at Chelsea, um, I, I'm so curious to see, number one, how they go this season because they all look to be settling in well and they look to be, a lot of them, on an upward trajectory. You've got Tammy, Mason Mount, Callum hubson Adoy, who's back in the team now, Tamori, who looks to have um, secured himself uh, a starting spot in, in that back line. It'll probably be uh, Tamori and Rudiger when Rudiger comes back. Um, so how they do this season, but then also um, how they go once that transfer ban's lifted and, and what happens. Chelsea's going to be a very yeah. interesting club to watch over the next 18 months. I, I think it's, it is it is interesting, and it's interesting that, yeah, their, their hand has kind of been forced to play these younger guys because they didn't really have any other options. But And I was talking to someone who's a Chelsea fan the other day, and, and I'd like to get George's opinion on this. Um, and he said that, this, that group of, what is it, five or six young players that you just mentioned, Colby, it's probably the best group of five or six academy products that came from the one club that have come through to a first team together since probably, you know, Carrick, Ferdinand, Jermaine Defoe, that kind We've of... we got a new class of 92 here. Yeah, but it's not you that You mean the of, class of 99? Yeah, well, it's... Since since that group of West Ham oh, yeah. players, <laughs> well, I'm thinking of the, the previous, yeah, well, yeah. Since, the, the other United, yeah, yeah, the other United Academy boys. <laughs> yeah, well, since that group of West Ham players, this is probably the most promising batch of youth players that's come through the academy together and started playing in the first team together. The batch, like they've just come out of like the Coles <laughs> yeah. butchery or something. <laughs> Anyway, uh, look, Tottenham also hosted uh, Southampton as well and uh, gave Tottenham a uh, an opportunity to atone for their Carabao Cup loss to Colchester midweek. Um, Ericsson returned to the starting lineup as well for this one. Um, and I guess a, a bit of a curious game because it seemed like all of the key, open, key moments seemed to happen all in a 20-minute period. Um, Tottenham took an early lead through Nombele, um, and he was the other the other fellow who did that uh, VAR um, oh, yeah. uh, celebration. Him and uh, Serge Aurier ran off doing the VAR symbol. Looked to looked to halfway. Aurier and, was very animated, looking up, <laughs> doing the screen and the phone. I was like, "What is this guy going on about? He's still salty. He's <laughs> such a junk man." And then gets himself sent off know, like right? minutes later as well. Like, no wonder Poch doesn't trust this bloke. Which, yeah, like he got two yellows in four minutes. Yeah, but um, to be honest, he could have been given a straight red for that first tackle. It was absolutely shocking. Yeah. And then what idiot, just minutes after you've been booked, pulls someone down when they're not even through on goal? You can remember that like four minutes of game time, like four minutes of game time, it's pretty much the ball going out like sometimes. Like, so yeah, it was pretty much the next phase of play. It would have been because it would have taken 30, 45 seconds for him to get booked and the yeah, play rolling around on the ground. Yep. Yeah, so, yeah, Serge Aurier. I'm pretty sure he did the exact same thing this time last year as well because I remember bringing him in in fantasy and thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, Aurier, new, new, um, the new uh, Spurs right back. You make that mistake once, shame on you. Oh, no. <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, speaking of shame, uh, Hugo Lloris uh, trying to do his best Allison impersonation. Oh, you tried here. this one on in the group <laughs> chat, Tommy. I'm not buying this. Well, if uh, anything, neither, it's an neither was, impersonation. Neither was Danny Ings. He wasn't buying it either. And um, he was gifted it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's free. Yeah, and uh, well, yeah, basically Danny Ings just embarrassed uh, the the World Cup winning uh, captain um, and uh, made it one all. Serge Aurier then got sent off a few minutes later after that, but then uh, Ericsson and Kane combined to give Spurs the lead, which they never really relinquished, even with 10 men. That goal was Spurs at their very best. That, well, that was transition play where it started with 
Son, Ericsson, back to Son, back to Ericsson, back to Kane, who still had a bit of work to do. Like that that's Spurs of, of two years ago, yeah, isn't it? That's that phase of play is going. This is the Spurs that everyone was so excited by that they thought could win the league a couple of years ago. And, and don't forget, that's after going a man down and after having Southampton equalise and, and mm. you come out and your big players stand up like that. I mean, that's exactly what you want from those kind of players. And, and that's 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 just the sign of, um, of quite a good mentality, which, as we know, Spurs haven't always had. No, and look, Poch did say after the game that um, his side needed to needed to show that kind of resilience every week, not just after they go down to 10 men. So what do you think, a bit of a dig at some of the players or just dropping some truth bombs? He's just being honest and everyone knows it's been quite highly publicised and I think Andy and George mentioned that that's pretty much all you read in the London papers at the moment is what's happening with Spurs and Pochettino. Yeah. So, well, and and Ericsson and yeah. Iverold. And, and what's going on at Spurs is kind of the big question. So I, I think he's just a very honest... He's being trying to be as transparent as possible and say, well, no, the players haven't been good enough. They need to be better. I think Poch is one of those managers, though, that like everything he says is so measured um, and, and, you know... So deliberate? Yeah, I think like... So you think it was a dig? Yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if it was. I think a lot of a lot of that stuff he says in presses is is very veiled. Um, yeah, it sort of it's digs at the board, and digs at the players. Yes, yes, it's it's all to achieve a pur- purpose. And like, it's just funny, but that after such a such a good performance from his team and a, and a marker of their mentality, there's like still all of this stuff just swirling around straight away. All I could, all I was reading this morning was the potch out stuff circulating around still, and and even Southgate's name thrown being thrown around oh, as the next person to succeed him at, at, at Spurs. So. Um, yeah, it's 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 going to come to a head this season. I think we'll see. It was a much needed win for Spurs, and a friend of mine was at at the ground last night, or, and he said that the the atmosphere, like he said, it's an absolutely brilliant stadium, but the atmosphere was very tense and cagey for the first you know ten fifteen minutes of the game. It's like Spurs fans are very nervous at the moment about what what is going on. They don't really. And what's the next step? And what's happening? Mm-hmm. And then, but they said, you know, it was you could tell that it was a huge relief for Spurs fans to finally get a win, get it off their back, and try and move on, try and put this behind them. But it, it's like you said, Colby, it's, this isn't going to be put behind them. This is all going to come to a head at some point during the season, and we'll see what's going on with Spurs. It's almost like getting to that Champions League final last year, and the and the sort of top three finishes in the past couple of seasons. Um, you know, it's like Spurs have sort of achieved. The, they've gone as far as they're going to go under, under Poch, and and fans are yeah wondering what's next and and where's their next bit of progress going to come from. Mm. Uh, I was reading throughout the week though. Someone was making the comparison and saying that um, Sir Alex Ferguson used to say that you can really only get about four years out of a sort of a single group of players, and then you really need to pretty much overhaul the squad. And you look at um, a number of really high profile managers sort of say that they they, they yeah. get that three year rule. Yeah, uh, as and, well, yeah. And, and Spurs had two years where they didn't sign anyone. So, like, that doesn't extend the life of the squad. And but that, that fair, period, it just means that you're, you're going to have a really hard drop-off at a certain yeah. point. And I think we're possibly seeing that now. They have signed um, a bunch of players. Well, they did. And they signed a fair few over the summer that will be important, influential players. But they haven't really played that much. And Dombele got injured. Mm. Celso's injured. Sessignon but Ericsson and Alderweire went out as well. Like yeah. they're still senior players and have been for the last three or four but years. Their new signings haven't really f- 
filtered their way into the squad yet, no. which is which is also a worry because you they, those players were bought with the intention that they were coming in to play, mm. and now they're either injured or not making the first team squad. Um, changes a lot of things. Mm. Um, one final match overnight though, which was Everton hosting uh, City. Um, in this one, Pep Roulette struck again with Aguero, Bilva, and Dilva all on the bench. Uh, whilst the other call that fans around the world were hating on was City wearing their bright uh, yellow away kit. Um, guys, that Calippo kit, is there a worse kit in world football right now? No. No. Yep, agreed. Um, I'm glad <laughs> we all agree on that because I was expecting someone to say, oh, no, it's not that bad. Or West Ham's kit. <laughs> Easy. Um, but look, uh, Damien? Um, so <laughs> City did go close uh, on about the 11th minute with Gundogan somehow hitting the crossbar from less than a metre out. I don't know how he's missed that. Um, but look, they did end up uh, taking the lead through Gabi Jesus, uh, combining with KDB or Kevin De Beckham, as I saw him <laughs> referred to during the week. Which That's I'll, a good shout. Yeah. There's probably no one in the Premier League who's had a better right foot delivery yeah. Since Beckham. And and that particular um delivery for that goal, he's not even he hasn't even looked up. It's just it's he a just blind. puts it in the area. Yeah. He knows that someone w- a good striker will be in that area, so he just puts it there. Yeah. He's got eight assists in seven games now. It's ridiculous. Yep. I I don't know where this is headed, but it's it, possibly for record breaking territory, which is pretty exciting. Like um I think we all thought a couple of years ago, oh yeah, geez, how how good is Kevin De Bruyne? But He's really taken his game to another level this season. And, and after such a bad injury last season, such an injury hit year... I wasn't um, sure if he was going to come back, right? Exactly. Like you, not, you never not know. The you same never know player. how players are going to come back after that. So Yeah. And I guess... um, Like, uh, what did he... He didn't play, I think, midweek or was it last week? Or Sorry, he didn't start against Norwich. And so you can still... St- uh, see that Pep is still managing his minutes, which is which is a good thing, I guess, for Kevin De Bruyne and his career. Um. But look, uh, yeah, rumour has it that um, the police were actually called not long after this, after Cavalier Wynn stole uh, Seamus Coleman's goal. Um, it's good for you, Tommy. Yeah, thanks, mate. Um, <laughs> but yeah, look, uh, I remember watching this, uh, that a lot of the players were actually concerned that uh, Cavalier Wynn was actually offside, which, oh man, that would have been a proper own goal then, wouldn't it? Like, um, I remember to- that. That happened a few years ago with... Um it was at Man United when Ronaldo and Nani were playing on each wing. Oh, Ronaldo, I remember this. Ronaldo like, dinked the ball over the keeper and Nani came in and touched it in and got called offside and they had a big argument. And, and Ronaldo was yeah. absolutely <laughs> fuming. As soon as you said that, that's all that I saw in my <laughs> mind is that they a big falling out because a striker doing strikers things and wanting to score <laughs> goals. Which, look, we haven't talked a lot about... Uh, well, there's probably not a lot of opportunity to talk about Everton in this game, but um, I actually think it was really good that Cavalier was chasing the goal for this. It shows, like he's he's hungry. Striker, that's his job. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like he he hasn't really scored, he scored a lot of goals in the last two three years. Midweek, so yeah, he was he's he's got the taste for goals. Two, I think, wasn't it? Oh, well, it makes three. That makes well, the third. Well, I think, it, I think he scored four goals over the last week because he scored one last weekend and then. Oh, okay, weekend. yeah, yep. And I mean, he was back in the starting line ahead of yep. Moise Keane, so um, you know he, he's he's Been clearly trusted. doing something right, yeah, yeah. Which is great for him, and like we weren't really sure if he was going to be cut out for this level. He he holds his own, but frankly, if you're a striker and you're not scoring goals, Let's like, go back to our preview pod. Uh, he was <laughs> my one to watch this year. So that's, Gee whiz. that's my boy. Um. Sheffield United product. That's why he's your boy. Now it all makes sense. 
But look, it did stay one all um, until the 71st minute when uh, Mares's neat free kick uh, was basically sort of blasted past a blindsided uh, Pickford. Um, boys, do you think Pickford should have done better here, or I think, has yeah. he set up his wall properly? Or he set up his wall properly. It's just um, Mares put that in the exact spot he wanted to put it. But Pickford, you know, as any good goalkeeper, will be upset that he got beaten on his side mm. of the wall. So he could have done better. I actually think this was very cleverly worked from a City perspective because the way they were lining it up, it was like a pretty similar area to where Murray scored that free kick um, like a week ago or whenever it was when he put it in the, in the top right corner. And I think he was sort of shaping up and the way it was all um, set up to go, it was looking like, and I think it was in Pickford's mind that he was going to go up Pickford there again. He was trying to cheat. He was trying to cheat and go behind the wall early and he yep. got beaten on his yep. own side. That's right. And then Mares puts it over the other side. So I actually think, you know, give give uh, City and give Mares full credit for this one because it was it was incredibly well worked. Fair enough. Just a note on Mares though. I thought he was absolutely superb against uh, Everton. And uh, back, back to the Mares of what was it 15-16? Yeah, but, but I think he was he's even better than that because oof, oof. the the thing that Mares always has lacked and the reason he hasn't always got that much game time at City is Pep you know, requires his players to work so hard, particularly defensively. And that was always what Mario didn't want to do. He just wanted the ball at his feet and run at players and score goals. And, and not defend. But mm. I think last night I read a stat that he won the ball back eight times Ooh. for City, which was only one player won the ball back more times than him during the game. So, you know, if, if he continues to do that, how can you justify keeping him out of the team like he was last year? Oh, and possibly with Bilver uh, getting a ban for this uh, social media uh, racism stuff, we'll call it. Um, there's a possibility that he not not just could be picked on uh, merit. Is he getting a ban for that, Tommy? Possibly. I'm, I'm not 100% certain. Gee, where's that been on goal? Anyway, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, well. it's one reason why I haven't brought it up this week because, yeah, it's still sort of floating around. It doesn't sound like it's resolved. Um uh, but yeah, he may not. He may not even get uh, the spot on on merit. He may just get it because he he's one of the senior fit wingers for for City. Which, um, like it sounds like he could be could justify it on merit, but may end up playing there anyway. Um, look, this um, this result does take Everton down to fifteenth. Um, in a sense that uh, Everton, and I've put here Man United, but arguably Watford are in the same position now. Um, if, look, if you if you do sack Milva uh, or Ole or Kike uh, Sanchez-Flores, uh, where do you look yeah. for, for another manager? Look, that, that's a tough question without a lot of notice, but is there anyone that sticks out to you for, for any of those three clubs? There's no big names, and for Man United particularly, there's no superstar managers available and the same thing I was talking to put some respect on Arsene's name (laughs) he's been talking about it but I mean it's the same thing that um, the argument of people who are talking about Potch out but if if he goes who do you bring in because there's no Mm. elite level managers in the world at the moment without a job that are willing to take on a job Um, and United aren't going to go back to Mourinho and Mourinho's but, not going to go to somewhere like Everton or Watford. Well, maybe you could go to Watford. That'd be that'd be interesting to watch. In the same way that we've said before, it'd be interesting to watch uh, Mourinho at Wolves. Can you imagine Re- Mourinho reinventing himself as the new Big Sam? <laughs> and just saving teams yeah. from relegation. <laughs> just coming in, doing a job and going home. <laughs> I would love that. 
be fantastic. But, but Tommy, um, I think I think uh, Marcus Silva's. Um, I mean, I've seen crazy things happen. Milver. Obviously, and in Milva, uh, I think will. Thank you. He should he should hang around. He's he's been given. He's been uh, had a lot of faith put in him by the Everton. Board I don't think he's going to walk. It's whether or not season. they keep him. But what I'm saying is the, the Everton board and their owners have put a lot of faith in him this season by backing him financially. Mm-hmm. Look at like their kind of investment that they've given him. You don't give a manager that kind of investment unless you've you've got a long-term plan for them. Mm-hmm. And don't forget how much he coveted this job as well. I don't think the results have been that bad. The performances have been decent. Like City City didn't play incredibly well today mm-hmm. um, and, and Everton kept fighting. I think there's, there, you know, there, there are positives to take from this game for Everton. Everton had a whole host of great chances. They, yep. they could have and probably should have scored, you know, two or three goals. I think Yerry Mina had a couple of headers that required amazing saves. Amazing saves and, and one that he headed like almost perfectly down into the ground and it just took this freakish bounce yeah. and went off the top of the crossbar. And like Calvert-Lewin had a one-on-one that Edison pulled off a save off the outside of his leg that mm. pushed it wide. So Everton definitely had enough chances to take something from that game. I think Edison made six saves in this game after basically not touching the ball for like six weeks. And I'd say four, <laughs> four maybe four, four of those saves were really top-class yep. saves. And they're the ones where... You don't see the ball for 10, 15 minutes and you need to be that switched on goalkeeper that is ready to make a world-class save when you've been sitting around doing not much for 10 minutes. Kind of save that um, Villa wouldn't make. Exactly. That's what you're saying. (laughs) Um, But look, that does wrap up uh, the games from last night. Uh, There's still two more games to be played in this round. Uh, Leicester hosting Newcastle. Did anyone see Newcastle getting up here? No. No, I see Leicester <laughs> running away with it. Look, um, James Madison is in doubt for this one, though. But look, it is a big opportunity for Leicester to strengthen their position in the top four. It would take them uh, clear third if they are able to get another three points here. Um, boys, score prediction? 3-0 Leicester. Yeah, I was going to say 3-0 as well. So Nice round score, yeah. isn't it? Um, the final match is uh, Man United hosting Arsenal, in which... I, I don't know what to expect from this one, but I, I feel like it's going to be just wild. Like um, Marshall and Rashford and even Pogba is in doubt uh, for this one. There's a chance for 17-year-old uh, Mason Greenwood to start, which is frankly is ridiculous. What is Mason Greenwood not playing because he has tonsillitis? No, he missed last week. Right, but he's back. He's ready to play. He's how how long did you... <laughs> yeah, he's got to, got to go to school. He's got, his field, he's got a field trip coming up. He's <laughs> grounded. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but look, yeah, like I was saying, it's it's ridiculous that uh, Man United have only got one seventeen-year-old forward on the on their books at the moment. Tahith Chong could get a start too. Possible Chong season. I um, think I think you know we're going to see a um uh, like some new steel from Arsenal with their with their new permanent captain Granite Shaka leading the troops. Uh, and the, could and, say he's made of granite. <laughs> and Emery's yeah. Emery's four Rock deputy solid. deputy captains are uh, just ready to ready to take up the mantle at a moment's notice. So I think I think um, Arsenal are going to take this game by the scruff of the neck. Yeah, look, they're still uh, missing Lacazette as well, so it gives Pepe and Aubameyang an opportunity to continue their <laughs> their relationship. I hope Lacazette front. wasn't one of the deputy captains. Otherwise, it's a real real blow for Arsenal. <laughs> um, but look. Guys, I don't know about you, but I feel like if if there's an opposite, you've heard of the expression the immovable object versus the unstoppable force. I feel like this is the opposite of that, whatever that would be. Um, whatever that is, maybe we'll have to get like 
the listeners on Twitter to give us whatever the opposite of that is because <laughs> yeah. I can't think of it right now. Like the unstartable object versus the very movable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like Men United have no strikers and Arsenal are terrible away from home. So I feel like this this could be two teams that are trying to lose and just like can't figure out a way to Man win. Man United have got no one up front yet. They'll Arsenal will probably still find a way to concede a goal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this game's got pillow fight written all over it. <laughs> uh, boys, what's your prediction for a score here? Two two. Yeah, I'm going to say one all, or actually two one Arsenal. Yeah, look, I think this is either going to be nil all, or um, or I think an Arsenal will get up maybe two nil. Uh, next up, uh, we will talk through our World Eleven in response to the FIFA World Eleven. Looking for Anderson, and he's looking for Cresswell. Yeah! Well, he's got a taste for it at the moment. It sat up nicely for him, and he rammed it home. And West Ham United have come back. It's 2-2 on the south coast. All right, so uh, during the week, uh, FIFA announced their team of the year. Um, There was a few odd choices, though. Um, For their World Eleven, they had uh, Alisson in goal, uh, which was pretty much unanimous, uh, I think, between uh, not only us, but also social media that was that was probably the right decision. Um, but then there was a few odd decisions when it came to came to the back line. So you had um, Delict and Van Dyke, which I don't know about you guys, but I think that's a, that's actually a good shout. I think both of those do deserve their spot. No love for Koulibaly? Nope. He'd be next in line. Gee whiz. And look, they've got Delict as a right back here, Tommy. What's what's going on there? Well, I was, I was not happy with that though. Uh, so yeah, look, uh, Delict takes. Uh, this is not this is not FPL. You can't just stick four centre backs or four <laughs> full backs in your lineup. Like we want this to be want this to be a, a, a proper eleven fifth pro. And as well, like I thought it was odd that they even just for the graphics sake that they didn't put Sergio Ramos as right back. Like he could he could play that. He started out as a right back. Like just just he, do it. He like, shouldn't I'm be anywhere near. Shouldn't be anywhere near this team. Anyway, well that's true as well. Delic couldn't even get into the Juventus team, Tommy. Before uh, you know, they're one of the key centre backs got injured. So I don't know if he should be in the fifth pro world eleven. I'm going to have to argue the point here. But if if you're basing this off the world eleven from last season or the last twelve months. Over that last 12 months. So it's months, last 12 months performances. He that, was in that team. So, I think he makes it. I, I thought he was immense. Ramos certainly doesn't. Ramos certainly doesn't. That's, Ramos was trash. So the argument is then, is it Delict or is it Koulibaly that you put next to Van Dijk? Oh, well, I mean, you might have Laporte there. Laporte or Jan Vertonghen as well, who had an amazing season. So yeah. there's oh, a whole handful got of... Got to a Champions League final, yeah. There's a whole handful of centre-halves Zubian. that are far better than Ramos. So first, that's the first thing that they got wrong. For me, it's uh, Van Dyke and Delict. Yeah, I would uh, agree with that. Uh, at fullback, though, um, you had uh, notionally Delict was there, and also Marcelo. Who look, Marcelo's—he's not even playing for Real Madrid at the moment. Exactly, but and not only that, but I think they had like the seventh best defense in in La Liga. They finished third and got knocked out in the round of sixteen. Um, look, pretty much. Actually, I think. Marcelo wasn't even playing in the Copa America uh, Brazil team either. I'm pretty sure um, Luis Felipe did. Man's cooked. Yeah. So, uh, look, for me, uh, Jordi Alba gets uh, the start as the left fullback there. Got 17 17 assists across all competitions. For me, that's a pretty easy decision. But, look, for right fullback, it's a little bit more tricky. 
Um, I've gone with Kimmich uh, with 19 assists across all um, across all uh, competitions. But look, I acknowledge that Trent Alexander-Arnold is very unlucky uh, not to not to make the at my world eleven stiff. I th- I'm, I'm sensing the need for a for a couple of polls here, Tommy. <laughs> No doubt. Uh, moving on to, to central midfield, though, I, I actually thought Frankie De Jong uh, keeps his spot here for me. I thought him and Delict were both just immense for for Ajax, and really, it was a good team, good Ajax team. But that was not a semi final in the Champions League team without um, Delict or or Frankie. Um, I thought Bilva, uh, he comes in uh, in central midfield. I agree Seven with that. Andrich. Yeah, like again, how Modric makes it Real into this dream. team? Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, Bilva thought he was fantastic. Really lifted his game and took on a lot of extra responsibility last season with Kevin De Bruyne being injured. Um, is this because Modric is? Is this still counting the the Ballon d'Or year for for Modric? Yeah, is that what so. they're But he's been trashed since after the World Cup. Yeah. So like, like he, how how, how yeah, so he, he played like three four good games of football in the World Cup and now he's in the the World Eleven? No. Yeah. Yep. And and Azard Azard's like I'm sorry, but he's he's not a midfielder for for these purposes. Like you, you've either got to you've got you've got to put him in front of uh, Mbappe or Messi, or or he's not in it. And yeah, that's he, always been the problem with Azard, though, isn't it? Right. Mm. So, but why are they putting him? in? He wasn't even the. I wouldn't even pick him on the wing. Sterling that's was right. better than yeah. Azard in that time anyway. So Sterling should be picked over Azard. Hazard's weird like that. I sense that just because he's he's from the continent, he's a bit more cultured. He uh, tends to get picked ahead of the likes of Sterling. He's as good well. footballer, but what's he done? Like, what's he won? On oh, Europa League. The what? <laughs> the second Is European the uh, club competition. <laughs> um, so if, if if you if you win the third tier, if you win the conference, are you in the fifth pro? <laughs> it's a trophy. What about Carabao Cup? Too soon to talk about Carabao Cup. Mate. <laughs> Um, but look, for that final uh, midfield spot, I've kind of gone with a bit of an odd decision. Um, I've picked um, Sadio Mane. Um, yeah, that's a good shout. Because I think... Not having him in midfield, Tommy. Well, he I, I play him as a 10. No? Still not having it? I don't this, know this team this. doesn't play anyone, remember? So, like, we can pretty much do what we want. No, this is, this is, a, this is a fantasy team now. <laughs> yeah? Well, what's, what, who's your shout? Who would fill that midfield spot? Well, I like the shout of Bilva. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. Uh, Deong's Deong's good in there. Like you got another one, or I mean, if if you had to <laughs> if you had to stick with Modric, I suppose I'd be okay with that on oh. the back of his. We were just saying how bad he's been. Yeah, but I mean, you, you can't be you can't be just, just bunging wingers into the midfield, Tommy. <laughs> give me give me give me someone else. All right, let's let's keep moving though. Uh, look up front. Uh, I thought Messi um, does keep his spot. Um, because even though, like, you see how important he still is to that Barcelona team, they're pretty much a dysfunctional team without him now, whereas Juve are a better better team even without Ronaldo. Um, So I actually don't keep uh, Ronaldo in in my my 11, um, which means that there is space for for Salah, given that he he did make it into into the, what's it called, the final, um, into the Champions League final. So who's your centre forward? He's... Salah also went to the final. Oh no, they got knocked out early in the African Cup of Nations, didn't they? Egypt, they didn't go all the way to the final. No, no love for Kunaguero in there, Tommy. It's centre no. forward. No, not for me. Oh, really? Who are you having, Damo? 
I would think I would put Ronaldo or Salah. I think it would be a conversation between those two. Interesting. I actually considered whether or not to keep Mbappe in this, but then I remembered, no, he plays in a farmer's league. so um, Just stat padding. Yeah. <laughs> and but if you're counting the World Cup, I suppose man's got a World Cup. That's true. Um, but yeah, look, I, I kind of struggled a little bit with uh, who to pick for that final final spot. And I actually probably settled upon Son purely for some of his appear- uh, performances in that back end of the, the Champions League. Yeah, so where I, I think Son he, for the last maybe third of that year would have been picked. But there's two thirds of the year where he was kind of just anyone's winger. So he was cooked as well. Like he, was, he, he played so much football that he was... Out, out, and he was out and about in the Asian Cup and the Asian Games, and just doing, just doing everything in Asia, yeah. right? Um, but uh, let's not forget that Ronaldo wins uh, Champions Leagues and pretty much does nothing for the first half of the season as well. So yeah, there's there's that. But look, uh, yeah, look, we'll we'll post our um, our final uh, more than a game World Eleven uh, up on the socials. Uh, let us know what you think. Well, Lloris in trouble, and Ings has bundled the ball in. Southampton have an equalising goal. Well, Tottenham in big, big trouble. Hugo Lloris caught out, and Danny Ings has taken full advantage. Well, 10 out of 10 to Danny Ings for, for pressing the ball here as his knocked back to the goalkeeper. Son again, Eriksen. Now Kane! Tottenham back in front. Breathtaking from Spurs. Kane, Eriksen, Son, the three who can be relied upon the most. And Harry Kane restores Tottenham's advantage. Last but not least, um, this week we'll wrap things up with the More Than A Game Fantasy Premier League update. So look, heading into game week seven, so it's a few days ago, um, it's Lee Whitney's uh, The Hurricanes who continue to impress in second. However, um, we've got a new leader. We had a new leader uh, up until about 12 hours ago. It was Reese uh, Rosotti's uh, food reviewer. Um, not not 100% certain where the name comes from. Do either of you know this, this bloke? No, nah. no. Nah. Uh, interesting team name, but yeah, please, uh, Reese, let us know like where where the team names come from, unless it's just like a typo or it's like some David Bowie esque sort of like some sort of random word generator, and that's how you've come up with it or something Reece like that. Reese Risotto, he's got the goods. Oh, maybe that's it. Um, but look, uh, as far as more than a game uh, hosts go, uh, you've got George, who's in 27th spot um, on 335 points. Um, but his recent appearance on the pod, um, Killian, uh, I was going to say Killian Mbappe, Killian, um, Killian's uh, appearance now means that he enters the conversation out of who is the highest performing more than a game host. And he's actually in third plot third place at the moment with 374 minutes uh, 374 points so um yeah Killian's Wenger bus uh, Killian it at the moment um, that fell flat that one yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. um but gents look how, how are you feeling about uh, fantasy this season have, have either of you used any chips have you wild carded yet I'm about um, to use the um Delete club option. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, rock bottom of the more than game league boys 
Uh, I feel like I've I've just uh, I've just set up my team. I, I made three transfers this week to get De Bruyne in. Uh, he got me one assist, but um, you know I, I'm feeling. Was I'm, good. He got nine points. I'm feeling pretty settled on, on my team now, so uh, I've got a, I've got a very budget forward line as a result. But uh, we'll see how we go. I'll, I'll give you plenty of tips, mate. Although I'm not sure if I should be the one giving you tips. I think I'm not much higher on the on the table than you are this year, Colby. It's it's uh, been a, it's. We'll call it a rebuilding year. Yeah, my, it's a reset. Club. It's yeah. a reset. Rebuilding year for my um, club. Sl- my season's gonna be a slow burn. <laughs> <laughs> Boys, did uh, did kind of already touched upon this a little bit. Um, there's been a couple of pretty big surprise packets this this season. Um, leading into this game week, um, the highest scoring defender was a was John Lundstrom from Sheffield United because he actually plays as a midfielder. Well, he's like an eight. Yeah, he's like a genuine eight. Um, gets around a lot. So far, he's kept two clean sheets. He's had an assist and a goal. Um, and look, people were talking about Aaron Wan-Bissaka last year, saying how good he was. Uh, so I dropped he- him this week, Bissaka. He's gone. Oh, really? Yep. Good. Got rid of him. Man United defense is trash. Yeah. Um, but look, he um, he was super cheap last year. Started at $4 million, and I think he got up to about $4.5 million sort of by midway through the season. Uh, Lundstrom's already up to 4.5 million. I think he's already like he's approaching 40% uh, ownership or something ridiculous like that. So pretty much everyone has Lundstrom. The problem is um, you've just got to make sure you have him in your team when he's um, when he actually blows up. So um, just go on there for, for all the punters out there. Might bench boost him next week, boys. Oof. Lundstrom and Moy on the bench with Ryan. Oof. Big. Yeah, there you go. Um, And we already mentioned before about Eric Peters as well. He's got three clean sheets with Burnley and... um, And a couple of goals to boot. Yeah, uh, and a couple of bonus points as well. So he's doing very well for himself. He's a bit of a purple patch. A good budget option. Yeah. Bit of a claret patch. Nice. I like like what you've done there. Do you guys think um, Pookie's cooked now, though, from a fantasy perspective? Uh, He'll still get a goal here and there, but he's not going to be the... Um, I think breakaway we were ex- star that he was in the first month. I think you reserve judgment for the next two weeks. He's got Villa and Bournemouth coming up, and if he's if he comes up dry after those two fixtures, then you, you turf him. He almost oh, no, then he's got United. He might might <laughs> your way then. What's interesting is like he he's gone up to forty five percent ownership. I think people are expecting like Aguero like returns, but yeah, just not sustainable. And we talked about. Before, Did you have him in your team, Tommy? I did. I think I had him for like two weeks and then I got rid of him. So I don't have him anymore. So, oh, Colby, furiously taking down notes Interesting. there. Tommy's <laughs> pulled the trigger early. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Love an early trigger pull in fantasy. Um, plenty of talent out there. there yeah, well, always plenty of talent out there. Plenty of value. Plenty of value. Plenty of value <laughs> well, I, I kept I kept uh, Walker Peters in my team this week and he'll be making a return next week because REA won't be playing. So yep, that's, that's my hot tip for the listeners. Walker Peters is still a very good budget option and they've got, and they've got Brighton next week. So uh, get him in. Get him on board. And, and get rid of your, your Brighton defenders, <laughs> you say. Yeah. Uh, but look... I think um, that pretty much wraps things up uh, for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Um, but don't forget, you can send through any questions or comments you might have. Uh, let us know what you think about the More Than A Game World Eleven. Uh, you can do that on either Facebook or Twitter, of course. But you can also send through uh, voice messages uh, or questions to us on Anchor. Um, we've also got a, a steady flow of shit posting as well on, on Facebook and Twitter, which is pretty much 90%. Colby and what and 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 twenty percent well, demo. Yeah, what what are we going to do now? There's no uh, AFL to complain about. A league memes. Might have to talk about football. 
Well, we'll just see if we can get um, A-League memes to stop stealing our content. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's, uh, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, until next week, enjoy the football. Yeah.